0: See you.
1: Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Alice and Rosen is your new best friend. I am here in the newly expanded studio. Every time I say newly expanded, I need to clarify, it's not that we added on, we just knocked out a wall inside to make it more expansive and roomy and to be honest, less acoustically ideal. Right, Tony?
0: Yes, but at least it's perfectly clean and not (laughs) messy at all. The mess (laughs)
1: Uh helps with the sound.
0: It's true. The it's the
1: true. the uh sound waves come out of my mouth, they swirl around your backpack, <laughs> they trip over the cords, <laughs> they cling to the various microphones, light bulbs. Yeah,
0: it's all it's the blankets. it's, it's really cuz of there. the lights really that we're not even using today. But Exactly. Yeah. You
1: know what? This is a work in progress. I know. And before long you're going to walk in here and you're going to say, am I in a spaceship? Actually, that's, that's exactly what I don't want the studio to look like. I feel no? like there's a few different ways you can go when you set up a studio. You can be like, "Ooh, are we in a cabin? Hence, pod cabin mm-hmm. or various other things. You can be like, oh, is this a morning talk show? I don't want that either. Um, or like, oh, wow, is this a spaceship that's about to take off? And I really don't want that because that's, I don't want it to be futuristic.
0: Do you want to stick with cabin?
1: <laughs> I want to stick with mess.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so I think we're almost there. I don't know. I got to figure it out. This is a problem with me is I don't know what I like till I see it, which makes it very hard for me to like figure out visually what I want. Anyway, enough of that. I am delighted to welcome to the show. He's a producer. He's a writer. He's a director. He is a former comic. He's into wrestling. We have mutual friends. Please put your hands together for Mark Blutman.
2: Wow. I know. are clapping. That's amazing. They're
1: excited you're here.
2: Um, I love the opening. Oh, theme thank song. You.
1: Thank you. I didn't write it. Thank you.
2: It's amazing. And as far as this place,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it feels homey.
1: <gasps> I like that.
2: Okay. I feel welcome. I feel like I'm at your place.
1: And you are.
2: There you go. So yeah, no cabin, no spaceship. Stick with this.
1: Yeah. Have you been on podcasts where you're like, oh, this does feel like a spaceship?
2: Well, I was in a spaceship uh, for a podcast and it, it did feel like a spaceship. And then I was in a cabin for one, which felt like a cabin.
1: I would go cabin over spaceship.
2: Um, but it was out in the woods, and I didn't trust the person that I was interviewing right. me. And the podcast lasted like seven days till I finally found my way out and home. Yeah. But this, I'm not threatened at all. And Tony's here. He makes me feel comfortable. You make me feel <laughs> – I want to be your new best friend. How many friends do you have? I mean, just you. No, but seriously, has somebody been on – Allison is your new best friend. And then they walked out and you turned to Tony and said, I don't want them to be my friend at all.
1: Ooh, that is such a good question because usually <laughs> we approach the question from the reverse. Like there's a few people that I feel have made the crossover from podcast guest to like actual friend. And you'd be, it's fewer and far more far between. Then you'd think in all given how overwhelmingly friendly and welcoming I am, you'd think I become like buddy, buddy with everyone. But really. There's only a few that I become like real life friends with, and that's usually what we talk about. But I'm trying to think if we've ever had the discussion of like who was on the show where I'm like, never again. There's a few.
2: Have you blocked anybody who became your new best friend?
1: Social media block?
2: That, or yeah, just like that emotionally somebody, block. Well, there's always that. But somebody who you guys did the podcast, you felt it were, you know, they yeah. definitely felt like they were a best friend of Allison's and they were walking out and they said, oh, Allison, give me your number yeah. and we'll talk and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I thought
1: did, never again. Yeah. No, that's actually them. never happened.
2: That's awesome.
1: Till now. No, I'm just You're going to block me. Probably. No, that's never happened. I'm trying to think, though. There have been like a few guests where I've thought. That was a frustrating experience, but oftentimes the frustration comes after when they don't promote the show or something like that.
2: I'm promoting it right now. I appreciate as that we, as we talk. I'm tw- and, mm-hmm. and but also you've you set a high bar, right? Because people come on and the title is Allison is your new best friend. I know, and so that's a lot of pressure. I feel pressure. I should have called
1: bit. it like Allison is Maybe. someone you'll have a decent time with. A
2: decent time, and room. then let's yeah. see. <laughs> you may have coffee one right. time. You may not. Right. With Allison. R-
1: Allison is a friendly face.
2: Absolutely. A friendly I like face that. in the crowd. Let's see how it plays out with Allison. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. Allison <laughs> may or may not be your on best- your Christmas list. Right. For a card.
1: Exactly. And
2: that way less, you know, less commitment, less emotional attachment.
1: Yeah. I really wasn't thinking clearly when I titled the show. I love
2: it actually. Thank you. Yeah, because I, I feel like I've gained something. I, I love it. it.
1: Oh, So it's, so it's just transactional <laughs> for you, Mark? I get it.
2: Listen, I, a new follower on Twitter? Why not? I know.
1: Okay, so. <laughs> oh, boy. Boy Meets World. Yeah. Girl Meets World. Yeah. So Little Time with the Olsen Twins. Oh, I got stories. And so many other shows. But before this, you were a... Were you a comic and then a writer, or were you kind of doing both at the same time? And also you grew up in Canada. Take Just fill us in, please.
2: Oh boy. I
1: need the story. You,
2: the story is, um, I grew up in Canada, Montreal, right? And, um, I was a hockey player.
0: Because mm. that's Speaking what
2: you do. Oui, je parle français. Oui. Ça fait longtemps que je parle français, mais je parle français. That means it's been a long time since I spoke French, but I do speak French. Je parle un petit
1: peu, un peu. français. Un peu.
2: Parce que une fois, tu allais au Paris. One time you went to Paris?
1: More oui. than once. Oui. Um, but it's been a long time. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, no, I grew, you, you grew up in Montreal. You grew up playing hockey. It's like the parents, you know, two, three years old, they take you. They throw you on the ice. <laughs> like the way, you know, parents throw kids <laughs> in the pool. Yeah. They throw you on the ice. If you get up and can skate, you mm-hmm. do it. And so I even – This is true. At uh, 10 years old, I played against Wayne Gretzky. Oh, wow. I was a goalie, and we were in a tournament in Ontario, and Gretzky – as a 10-year-old, was being written up in Sports Illustrated. He scored something like three. 300- I
1: didn't know he was like a prodigy like that. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. He was written up at 10 years old. He scored about 350 goals in his league. I'm playing him. And I was a goalie. And he scored 11 goals on me mm. in one game because I'm a kid. And as a kid goalie, you just lie down on the ice because nobody could lift the puck. Right. Except this kid Gretzky and these pucks are sailing by my ears, like just ba, And then I've had the story for, you know, 50 years. I'm able to go, yeah, I played against Gretzky. Um, and
1: you also said against in a pretty Canadian way.
2: About and against. Yeah. Do you
1: normally, it, did, no, did it come out because you were talking about it or do you normally say it that it way? It probably is
2: a default thing where mm. when you start talking about hockey, you yeah, start, you, have you know, to. And, and, you know, I actually right now want to drink a jug of maple syrup. You know, I understand,
1: (laughs) yes. I want to ride a moose.
2: There you go. Um, and so, but my journey was that I was like really good and then I ripped my knee up around Mm -hmm. 16, 17 years old. And back then, knee surgeries were not like now arthroscopic. They go in, they go out, you're doing whatever you were doing three weeks later. Back then, there was a lot of rehab that was necessary. And as a spoiled upper middle class Jewish kid, I didn't want to put in the work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and that's the truth. So I kind of let and I had scholarship offers to go to like Bowling Green and University of Vermont. So I had a buddy. Ooh. Yes. Question.
1: Why uh, scholarships in America?
2: Uh b- because the Canadian schools didn't offer them.
0: Mm.
2: And you know, if you went to the States, there was always the opportunity, you know, to get on a good hockey school like a University of Minnesota or mm-hmm. Denver, um, any of those and be seen by NHL people. So I do think the American hockey program at the school level was pretty cool. Got it. I think locally in Canada was more like, you know, you were still. More focused on studying to be a doctor than than hockey, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But um, so that was a great question, by the way. Thank you. you, you I want you as a friend because you, that's. <laughs> I listen. Like, <laughs> you listen. Um, so here's the deal: I had a friend there in Montreal named Stephen, and we used to get together at his uh, house every Saturday night at eleven thirty-five because. And this is in the late 70s, Saturday nights at 1135, there was a show called Saturday Night Live. I am familiar. And so this was back in the day of Gilda Radner and Belushi and Chevy Chase and Aykroyd and Jane Curtin and all these incredible people. And we would watch the show from 1135 to 1 o'clock every Saturday. And we loved it. We loved it. We loved. It. So I started going, I kind of did comedy, mm-hmm. right? I'm kind of getting into this comedy thing. And then Stephen and I said, let's write some stuff. Like, let's just write some sketches. And so we wrote these commercial parodies Mm -hmm. and these sketches like the – you know, they used to have the killer bees on Saturday Night Live. Mm. We wrote something very Canadian called the Harp Seal Hunters (laughs) about these, like, you know, seal hunters. And and, and we wrote these things. And we said, now what? And back then, like, there was no internet. So, you know, now you could just find out, like, an address of any production company and whatever and just send your stuff or whatever, whatever. But then – all we knew was Saturday Night Live, 30 Rockefeller Plaza. So we put a package together mm. with a letter that said, and this was me as a 17 year old, very smart kid, as requested by Lauren Michaels. Oh, wow. <laughs> here is our material. That's hilarious. So we send in a bunch of sketches to Saturday Night Live, 30 Rock. Maybe four weeks go by. And Stephen calls me and says, Mark, get over here. Come over. So I get on my bicycle and I bike over the three streets. <laughs> and he goes, guess what? I go, what? He goes, I just spoke to Lauren Michaels. What? What? That was my reaction, yeah. me and you? So We are <laughs> so two
1: hearts beating in
2: so, – no, and, one and, heart
1: beating in two bodies.
2: And by the end of this, it'll be three because Tony will be with us, yeah. his heart too. I feel it. So – I go. Really? I've known, known goes,
1: him for longer, and I'm not sure. But
2: yeah, that's okay. Thank you. We don't, yeah, you she know always what? has my back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm trying to preserve the boundary that you want. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't but know. either. I, Sounds good. I me. look at the back of Tony, his jacket, and there are many little knife holes in that jacket. <laughs> so clearly, he's taken a few shots from <laughs> his once best friend. Um, I'm like, wait, what? Lauren Michaels called. He goes, "Yep." Love the material. Whoa. Can we come to New York for an interview?
1: Steve is also seventeen. 17. You guys are two
2: seventeen year olds. Two seventeen year olds with big Jewish froze, Jew okay. froze, sure. Acne all over the mm-hmm. face. Just a mess. Yeah. And we wow. Go, they, okay. Because obviously again, no internet. It's not like they're getting packages of material. Right. Lauren read something, liked it. And so we go, okay. So two weeks later, they fly us to New York. They flew you. They flew us. Wow. And
0: this is still in like original cast. Oh, time, yeah. Right. This yeah. is,
2: this is 1978 ish, whatever, okay. seven ish. And, and so it was pre-production. So the cast wasn't around and, uh, we were going to meet Al Franken and Tom Davis, Senator wow. Al Franken, <laughs> uh, from the great state of Minnesota and his partner, Tom Davis and they were the head writers. So we were like the whole time we're just going like is this real? Are we frauds? Are we not frauds? Like we're Did just Did they like,
1: know you guys were 17? Well, okay. this
2: is, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. So, we go up the elevator, we get off at the this Saturday is and that is amazing. It's amazing. We get off at the Saturday high floor and we walk we're, told where Frank and Davis's offices are, and they're just getting ready to start pre-production. They're unpacking boxes, all that. And I remember Al Franken was literally on the ground on his knees putting a plug in Mm -hmm. when I – on the door. I didn't have to say on the door. I think (laughs) listeners would know.
1: Mm, Maybe you knocked on the floor to get his attention. Okay. So
2: so we knock on the door. We walk in, and he looks up, and I go, Blutman and Padveen. And he you 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 guys are kids. <laughs> that was the first thing he said. You guys are kids. Yeah. And we just nodded. He goes, but your resume said Second City on it. And I said, Well, yes, under comedy, I wrote Second City because I'm a fan <laughs> of Second City. That's the kind of comedy I like. And he looked at his partner. And they like we're not happy at this yeah. point. And he goes, How do you feel about tricking us oh, like boy. this? Oh geez. And I go, I don't know how do you feel about being tricked? <laughs> Cause you guys are the professionals and we shouldn't have been able like
1: You said that though, I or said you? it but oh, wow. more
2: in not in the cocky kid way. Right. In a cocky twenty-three-year-old way, I elevated mm. myself a few years. Yeah, no, I just—you were just, precocious. I didn't, I didn't know what to do or yeah, say. Yeah, like it's not a situation you prepare for. Well, and,
1: suddenly it was, sounds like suddenly it was tense, right? It
2: got tense for a yeah. minute, so I thought I would throw it back on, right. on him. Mm-hmm. That was my attempt at you know breaking the tension. Yeah, and they did laugh a little okay. bit, and they had to sit down, and we talked just for a while. And they said, thank you for coming. And maybe one day when mm. your acne clears up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but right now. And so we this is so dispiriting. Why? I wanted you to get the jobs at 17. Well, it was it all worked out OK, I guess. So that year um, there was flattery in that one of our commercials was borrowed Oh, um, you know, a version of it mm-hmm. aired. And did they of, tell you? I didn't no, give you any no, credit. No, no. Okay. So it was That's it annoying. was changed enough. But you knew yeah. where the idea came right. from.
1: Did you ever meet? You never met Lauren?
2: No, uh-huh. never met Lauren. And he's a fellow Canadian. He's from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Lipowitz, I believe it's something like that. Lauren Lipowitz, something like that. But but it. It told Stephen and I that we were good mm-hmm. and we had talent, right? So now in Canada, before you go to McGill or University of Toronto, there's what's called CJEP. It's two oh. years of like a junior college. So we're at a place called Vanier. And all of a sudden we see this like sign on a board about, you know, student clubs. If you have a club and blah, 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 and come to student council and yada, yada, yada. And we go, let's put on a show. Let's do Saturday Night Live here at the school, Vanier Live. Mm-hmm. Not a great title, pretty derivative, <laughs> but they ripped us off. So, what the hell? Yeah. So, Vanier Live. So, we go to student council, give our presentation. Next thing we know, they hand us over offices. Oh, wow. And $3,000. Wow. So, here I am, 17, 18 years old, in junior college with an office, and a, a of budget. Money. Yeah. And so, we held auditions and Students who from the drama department or whatever, or just who wanted to be, they all auditioned. They read our stuff. You know, those were the audition pieces. One of the guys we hired is very successful in Hollywood now. Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith Productions. He does Hell's Kitchen, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, his company. He was uh, one of our leads. And so we put on the show. We did four nights. It sold out. Uh So we made money off the tickets. We were charging, I don't know, maybe six bucks a ticket, 200 people. Mm -hmm. And then we sold t shirts. So, you know... Did you perform? uh, We did the opening. Okay. We did... Me and Steve did Uh a a routine. And so now we're monetizing it. We've got the budget, this and that. Now, every Christmas, you know, a lot of people in Canada, snowbirds, they would go to Florida Mm -hmm. because it got really cold, right? So people in Montreal, Toronto, they... And so normally we would stay at a place called the Waikiki Motel, like, you know, 39 bucks a night, seven kids would share it, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. That Christmas, Stephen and I had a, we had a suite in the Fontainebleau. Oh. Because we had all this money coming in from the show. And so. How old were you then? 17. Damn. Yeah. But, and, and I'm getting to, you know, eventually I will answer. So now. A comedy club opens, the, the shows we got reviews and was, and now a comedy club, the first comedy club in Montreal called Stitches is opening. Mm-hmm. And they had no comics because there was never a comedy club in Montreal. Although the unknown comic, Murray Langston is a Montrealer, uh, but he was already here. So anyway, we went down, we auditioned and now here we are. We got hired. We're getting paid 50 bucks a night to do the routine we did, you know, for, for Vanier, fun, Vanier for, for Vanier Live. And that was a blast. And then maybe after six months, Stephen probably had a talk with his parents who said, stop this shit. And Blutman's a bad influence (laughs) on you. And you need to be a dentist like your father.
1: Oh, and
2: all that. And he stopped doing it.
1: What did your parents think?
2: I don't think (laughs) my parents. Well, you know, uh, my mom was always very proud, but she was, um, but she she's a mental health sufferer mm. you know and so she was dealing always dealing with that stuff and and i think you know during her really good times which were more than her not but mm-hmm. i think they were really proud and and they supported it and then you know i was at mcgill as a student but my entire last year and a half um i was never there because now i was getting good at comedy mm-hmm. and i was touring i was playing clubs all over canada and my parents are like, how are you getting these grades? Like you're, you're in Toronto for two weeks and you just – I saw your report card. You got like A's. Well, I was giving the professors drink tickets for my shows in, in Montreal and they loved that. Oh, wow. So I would just give them drink tickets and I did very well. I graduated. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I never went to my graduation and my mom and dad said, why are you not going to your graduation? And I said, because I'm no hypocrite. Like mm. I just said, I can't. Like I can't take a diploma. I didn't earn it.
1: So, if you hadn't been giving them drink tickets, what grades would
2: you've gotten? To oh, Fs. Okay, I would have failed. So that.
1: you did not. I was do not the there.
2: Forget to do the A's. work.
1: So corrupt.
2: Well, but also, I had again. You know, I give drink tickets to friends too, and so like the, I was taking a course. This I remember. I was taking a course called Intro to Children's Literature. Mm. I had to hand in a children's book. But so you had written. Yeah, well, a kid wrote it for me theoretically oh. and put my name on it, and apparently it was very good. <laughs> it was about, it was, uh, it was called Pete the Pigskin, and it was about a football with a face that was very sad because they always kicked him. That
1: does sound like a really poignant book.
2: They, uh, it was about mental health before yeah. mental health. Right. Yeah. Um, so, do you want me to keep going?
1: I do. I do. <laughs> I, have a, I have more questions, though. I know. That's why. What did your dad I'm do? I'm pausing. Or what did your dad do?
2: Uh, he was in the restaurant business. restaurant business. So his thing was, it was a giant restaurant by the airport in Montreal, and was it was a patio and a main room and a back room and a bar. So he was there all the time, like all the time. And he, you know, this was you know late seventies, and so he'd come home at one, two in the morning, kind of drunk because you drink with customers, and then you drive in a snowstorm with no seatbelts. Mm-hmm. That was our parents right. back then in Canada but um you know supportive of what i but i never invited my parents to come see me perform how come issues yours yeah <laughs> yeah clearly i well, just i didn't want them to see that
1: what did you think they would see
2: uh, swearing mm. um you know um and then maybe me um j- hitting on waitresses and stuff would they like, have just-
1: gotten it do you think
2: like got, yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, here's just, So as my career went on, I was – well, now actually before I go there, I have mm-hmm. to backtrack. So this ties me into wrestling too, like my love of wrestling. So I'm doing stand-up and I'm doing okay. But then I created a character. I don't know if you – Crusher you, comic. Crusher comic. Here we are with Crusher comic. Exactly. So Crusher comic was a masked wrestler, mm-hmm. who hid his identity – and he wore tights and robes, like Ric Flair robes. Mm. I had them made in Montreal. Mm. I found a seamstress, and she made me these robes. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason – and the way it happened – you want me to tell you how yeah. it happened? So w- a bunch of us, we had a, a a night Saturday night comedy show at a place called the John Bull Pub in Montreal. And one night, there was a snowstorm, and I showed up, and another friend of mine, who actually became my early writing partner, Howard Busgang, he showed up. But no other comic showed up. And there were like 12 people who walked there because they lived downtown. So we had to put on a show. Well, there was only the two of us. We didn't have enough material. So I had been toying with this idea of this mass insult comic. Mm. And so I said, you know, I'm going to try and go home. And I made my way home in the snowstorm. And all I had then was a ski mask and just my own terry cloth robe. (laughs) And I came back to the club. And I did my regular set, and then Howard did his set, and then we said little intermission. And then I said, to Howard, I need you to introduce me as, from parts unknown, the Crusher comic. <laughs> and nobody will know that it was actually Mark plotman So he said, we have a special guest. He's an ex-wrestler turned comedian. Please welcome to the stage, the Crusher comic. And I just came out screaming at the audience i had no act written i'm just going what's your name where are you from what do you do for a living and they start to go my name is... nobody cares shut up shut up and i'm just yelling at them just belligerent just belligerent and they're eating it up Hmm. and then i look at somebody and i go come here and i grab them and i just put them on my shoulders give them an airplane spin and then i (laughs) put them down and they're all dizzy and the audience is going bonkers and I'm just yelling at them, yeah. like doing Don Rickles. Interesting. And so I got off the stage and I went, I think I'm on to something. And so I developed the character and I, I, I had actual like wrestling gear made. And uh, then I started, I forget the year, the song came out, but I started coming out to Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> and I would like literally, my opening was banging on the heads of audience members, didn't tell them beforehand. But I would just pound to the music, pick them up, airplane spin them, throw them down, climb on the stool. You know, most comedy clubs had like the stool. Yeah. I'd climb on the stool and then come down with an elbow smash. Well, this now I'm writing an act for this crazy yeah. lunatic character. Were you
1: smashing them on the head hard? No.
2: Okay. No, no, no. Total, you know, just uh, working punches. Mm. Like just, you know, like a good looking working punch. Right. Now all of a sudden- People are writing about me. I'm getting booked in yeah, Toronto. Yeah. I'm getting attention. Now I'm on Tuesday Night Titans, WWF at the time. They had a show called Tuesday okay, Night you Titans. You were on one of those? I was on that. What is Russia that? Comic. Is that a it's TV so show? It's so weird. It's so weird. It was like,
0: oh, how do you describe it's it like even? It was like a fake late night talk show. Hosted by Vince McMahon. Yeah. Oh, and then wow. all the guests were just wrestlers. Wrestlers. It's what so weird. What channel was it on? TNT. Went, oh, was it TNT? Was yep. It, I thought it was USA. USA, you're yeah. right. Okay. You're right. Because TNC was what they yes, called yes, it. Yes yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes,
2: yes, yes, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I said that. Thank you. <laughs> so they built, for me, they built uh, like a nightclub set. Uh-huh. Wow. In, in the audience and I came out and they had all the jobbers uh, at tables I need to find this you know Mario Mancini and Rusty Brooks and all these jobbers were like at tables pretending they were at a comedy show jobbers
1: and, are wrestlers who are there to lose yeah
2: enhancement talent okay. is the more PC mm. way now like as if loser wrestlers making $50 a night need PC titling, right, but right. now they do so they're not jobbers anymore they're enhancement, enhancement right. talent yeah but And then I ended up on the cover of Wrestling World magazine, sharing the cover with the Road Warriors. That's
1: crazy. And you weren't a wrestler. That's what's so Not, But
2: the audience is – so wrestling but was But they thought big. you were. Exactly. Hulk Hogan was blowing up. Yeah. Wrestling was blowing up at the same time comedy clubs were. And the gimmick was I was an ex-wrestler
1: mm-hmm.
2: who was kicked out of wrestling. For our- – well, that, because the character, not me, right. so no, you know, cancelling me. But back then, I would only fight – Crusher comic would only agree to fight little people. Yeah. And I would list the little people, you know, uh, <laughs> Little Beaver, Dust Dwarf, you know, Duncan Munchkin. I would Are these talk real with, people? No. Okay. Um, but they were, you know, just – I would only – and once they said – Sorry, Crusher. You can only fight real men your own size. I went. I ain't doing this shit no more. And so I. And that, began, that
1: this was Crusher Comics voice. That was
2: exactly. That's why I have a naturally raspy voice. Yeah, it's anyway. painful. <laughs> and you know, years of screaming. Mm-hmm. And then, but it was so cool, Allison, because I really it became a party. My show now mm-hmm. I have to do an hour, and I loved improv. I loved just making stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so, like one of my uh finishes like to the show was i'd say um a lot of people come up to me and they say crusher tell us about wrestling is it a work is it a shoot you know is it fake is it real i said look i'm not gonna tell you because i got a kayfabe i can't but i can give you a live demonstration and show you how badass this really is i need a volunteer and I, you know, everybody loved coming on stage. So, you know, some guy would come up, I'd pull him up and I said, now this is going to be no ordinary match. It's going to be a chain match. And I would take out, I had a big trunk of props on stage. I was carrot top before cat. <laughs> <laughs> let's be real. And I would fasten the collar with the chain mm. around my neck. I would do the same to his neck, so now we're attached by like a ten foot chain. And the audience is like, "We just saw Seinfeld. This show ain't <laughs> anything like Seinfeld. It's more like, like a I magic mean, show. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, are watching." And then I would like get real close to the guy, and I'd say, "Okay, I'm gonna give you a fake little slap, and you slap me back." So I go ch, and they go ch. And I go, ah, and there's only one way to settle this. Blah, blah, blah. And I would turn around and cover it on stage on another table. I had Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> so I would pull out Rock'em Sock'em Robots. My robot had a mask on just like mine. And I had it wired like there was a pump. And in the middle of the fight, blood would come pouring out of the robot. And now audience. you got a Kiss <laughs> show. The, exactly, a little <laughs> bit of Kiss. The exactly, uh, Kiss is good. Gene okay, Simmons, yeah. yeah, absolutely bled. Uh, from the mouth and, um, you know, music was playing and we did the whole thing, but I would win every fight because then I pulled out crazy glue. I glued my guys block out yeah. crazy glue and that was a big finish. People went nuts. I would play twister on stage mm. with girls from the audience. Like it was just this party. And then so there's actually a story, Allison, of why I stopped kind of doing stand up and why I started getting ready to pivot to something else which eventually became writing and producing all that. So I'm doing Crusher Comic in Pittsburgh mm. at uh, at the Improv and it was a great club. Like how many years had you been doing it at this point? So I would say 8 to 10 years. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So this
1: was like your thing.
2: This was, and I had already moved to LA mm-hmm. so I was uh, performing at the Comedy Store. And then I was also an actor, so I'd go out on auditions, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was in a movie called Meatball Street with Patrick Dempsey. Nice. <laughs> I was uh, in New York. I filmed a bunch of episodes of uh, All My Children.
1: <gasps> Wait, who did you play on All My Children?
2: Well, I played Ernie Jackson, the assistant editor of the Pine Valley Daily Bolton.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> My parents, huge All My Children fans, and also Ryan's Hope when that was on. Oh, I so I Hope. grew up watching All My Children I do not remember the Pine Valley Bulletin, but what was your plot line?
2: Well, you'll remember the plot line. Okay. So remember uh Jenny died in the big water skidoo accident?
1: Of Jenny and Greg. Yes. yes. So this is okay. This uh, is like I'm, I'm 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 rolling it back. Yes. Roll
2: it way back. We Jenny gotta go way back. Sure. But yeah. And so I was like trying to get to the bottom oh, of what of to the Jenny? accident. Did Greg do it? Did he not? Okay. I had to tell my was, parents. I was yeah, so excited. It's also again, you know, in a cleansing uh moment here i also that was also part of the reason why i started looking for other ways to make a living like
1: you did not love being on all my children no i
2: love being on all my children they didn't love me being on all my children i was supposed to be on for like six months to a year and i did one or two episodes i was not good on camera Mm, i was great in the room i was awesome at auditions i mean i and i book stuff like Mm i i i booked Hill Street Blues. I was on Hill Street Blues yeah. here. The Meatball Street thing. So I'm one of the leads in this movie with Patrick Dempsey who was just coming off a movie called, I think it was like Heaven Help Us or something mm-hmm. with Andrew McCarthy it was something yes. like that. Mary Stuart Masterson, yeah. who's an amazing actress, uh, uh, like absolutely incredible, who I ended up – uh, it was taking to a Springsteen concert, somehow oh, cool. she was a blind date for that because Patrick and I. But that's another story. It's a fun story. I'll tell it too. Okay, we'll we'll I'll circle back. <laughs> um, but um, the thing was, like at Meatballs, I I I, I thought, okay, I'm going to be, I'm the next Bill Murray. I'm going to be like a comedy star. I'm in yeah. Meatballs three. Sure, how can I miss? And I have a lead part. And I go to the premiere with my brother. And first of all, I I was wearing – I don't know. I rented a tuxedo with uh, yellow cummerbund and Mm. yellow bow tie. And then I went out and bought yellow Converse high tops.
1: But I feel like it was the time to do that.
2: (sighs) I looked horrible. Okay. (laughs) I I, Like John Hughes would have looked at me and went, no. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) This is so not coming of age Mm. in the 70s, early 80s. But I thought it was. I thought it was cool. I'm at the premiere of the movie and I'm on – Scene one is me mm-hmm. right before Patrick. Actually, it was a scene with Patrick, and you see me sinking in my chair for real mm. at the premiere. And I'm just, and finally, I'm like way down. Oh, no. And I turn to my brother and I go, I suck, don't I? Oh. And he goes, My younger brother goes, You're not great. <laughs> <laughs> so, all these oh. moments wait, I, I, there's even another one okay. that confirmed it. So, okay. um, one of my closest friends is is Howie Mandel, and so I was hanging on the set of St. Elsewhere every day when I first moved mm-hmm. to L. A. Right, and I'm a struggling actor, and so I'm hanging out on st- the greatest set ever, um, and and Denzel Washington and you know Bill Daniels, who ended up I ended up writing for yeah. him, Mr. Feeney. It was just amazing, but I became friendly with. Uh, one of the executive producers, this guy, John Macius, who was a brilliant, brilliant writer-producer, he had a table hockey game in his office, and I love table hockey, and so we would play table hockey, and we we became good friends. And he introduced me. He loved me, and he said, so you're acting? I said, yeah. He said, well, I got to get you on the show. And I went, great. Here I am with the guy writing yeah. the stuff. like mm-hmm. that. So he says, I want you to meet Gene Blythe. Gene Blythe was the casting director. I met Gene. Gene goes, Blutman's amazing. I love him, blah, blah, blah. And so every week, there'd be a part that I was close enough where I would go in audition. And then the next day, Macius, who was known for being just acerbic and honest, he goes, you suck, Blutman. The casting director said you were absolutely horrible. He oh, goes, wow. I'm trying to get you on the show. And then finally one day, oh my gosh, this is so painful to recall.
1: This is a show for that.
2: This is, this is, okay. This, yeah. this is healthy. This we is healthy. We share
1: cringeworthy stuff. So, Usually it's me doing it. No, I love what this is,
2: this is like stuff. This yeah. is therapeutic. I'm purging my past that hurts. Yeah. A lot of acting trauma. One day, Mesha says to me, he goes, I wrote a part for you. You can't F this up. The part is to play Dr. Mark Craig's Gardener. I wrote it in your voice. (sighs) I'm uncomfortable already. So I go to, he goes, go read it for Gene. They give me the size. I study him all day. I go to Gene Blythe's casting. Uh, office and sides I, I, is the
1: script Tony. yeah
2: sides so i just, yeah, i've you know, been Tony on some knows. sets come on <laughs> so I, I i i read it and you could just see like and i was super cocky because it was my voice how mm-hmm. can i miss yeah. and you could just see gene's face going oh boy and anyway i got Were a you call- sorry go ahead go ahead well i got a call back somehow uh-huh. so now i'm really feeling good and yeah. the callback was to go read it for john Matius his partner tom fontana and the director of that episode it was either paltrow or, or grant tinker mm-hmm. but these are hollywood heavyweights yeah. back in the day you know at cbs radford is where we did it and so i'm sitting there and Matius first thing says to me is you know don't f this up and I start and I do it and I say maybe four lines and he takes the script and he throws it at me. He goes, how can you tank this? I wrote it for you. Mm. And I didn't do it. I didn't end up getting – I yeah. never – so all these things are happening where I'm just going, I'm not great as an actor.
1: What Were you um overacting, underacting, not believable, like – stilted
2: yes 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 maybe yes
1: i don't even know what i asked anymore all of those were like of in those. what way were you not good
2: probably because in uh, normally i would always like the first time meeting a casting director i was awesome i had this mm-hmm. great personality i had cool hair and earring ripped jeans which i still wear i gotta let the ripped jeans go
1: no they're in <laughs> right now i think uh,
2: people say i'm 63 they say i'm trying too hard at least my kids Your said kids that. do. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah, say, who yeah, says yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> who says that? My kids, exactly. We think alike. I love it. But I think once I got past that first thing with the casting director uh-huh. and-
1: You got in your head.
2: I got in my head yes. and I tried too hard. I was also the Orkin man. I booked that commercial. I was a, the, 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 the Orkin man, the exterminator yeah, sure. guy. So that I got, but he had no lines. Mm-hmm. He just was on his knees in an attic.
1: So it's like you were good at improv- but not at reading scripted stuff. exactly
2: and, and and I take I took I would take classes I was even good in the oh, classes you know interesting.
1: but it but, but they I mean they kept you in meatballs 3
2: yeah I, I, and and my, to this day so the, it's it's 30 years ago my kids and their friends found scenes from meatballs <laughs> 3 and they send it around to each other in their chats That's and cute. so it never goes away yeah. this is recent like new friends will come right. in. Oh, you got to see Liam and Luke's pops. <laughs> he was me and they, but they're great. They love me and certainly love what I do now.
1: Okay. But so
2: I started, you know. So you
1: realized acting is maybe not the direction for yeah, you. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the fact that you were really good at auditions though. Cuz weren't you reading part weren't you like reading the the sides <laughs> Tony at this kidding. Weren't you weren't you performing lines in an audition?
2: Yeah, but I just think there was less pressure yeah. and I was so good at the first five minutes the schmooze with the right. casting director you, the, yeah you know hey how are you i have a good personality mm-hmm. is that okay to say tony
0: yeah I'll, okay
2: i'll allow it so no seriously but mark down
1: the time code in case we want to cut that <laughs>
2: out <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna be my friend Mark, you're not gonna be <laughs> braggadocious <laughs> um i just think i was really comfortable with the schmooze mm-hmm. and so people wanted Got to it. book me the casting directors loved me they liked me. you yeah you know the one of the women who ended up casting Boy Meets World for us, Sally Steiner and 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 Barbie Block, but Sally worked before she worked with Barbie. She and that's why when she met me on Boy Meets World, she's like, "Oh my gosh, Mark!" She used to bring me in on auditions. The casting directors wanted me mm-hmm. to book the stuff, yeah, because they really really liked me. Right. So I got tons of auditions, and usually, you know, even. Um, Game shows, remember Remote Control?
1: Yes, with mm-hmm. Ken that- Ober. Ken late, yes. late,
2: it was between me and Ken Ober. Oh, oh wow. So I almost booked remote. The, the exec was this incredible exec who pioneered so much cool stuff mm-hmm. at MTV named Joe Davola. I whose know name, that name. Well, I'm they totally. used it on oh, Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, that's why I know it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they used so many real executive yeah. names. Lloyd Braun. They uh-huh. were all like- Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Like Larry David just he <laughs> did not hold back. But I was almost booked for Remote yeah. Control um dirty dancing the tv series oh. i came very close to um nobody puts baby in a corner Not i bad. believe it Thank i you. believe
1: it so <laughs> wait tell us so tell us why okay so tell us why you went from being crusher comic to a
2: writer though so the that story i started to tell so already in my head is like i've got to pivot away from acting because i i want i wanted a family I knew I wanted a family. I love kids, right? And I loved the idea of that. But Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't going to really hit for me that way. And then I was also starting to have my doubts as a comic even though I did a couple of just for laugh festivals and I was touring and doing okay. The, the comedy club business was starting to not be as lucrative. And I, you know, also having Howie Mandel as one of your close friends and you're on the road with him and he's playing in front of, you know, 2000 people mm-hmm. just slaying it. And you're sitting there going "I'm mm-hmm. doing Crusher comic and airplane spinning people. And, I, and so it all led me to this one night in, Pittsburgh at the improv and the improv was a great comedy club. Um, it's Paul Reiser came out of there. Dennis, not Paul Reiser. Uh, Paul Reiser's wife actually was, was uh, on the wait staff there. So she was from there. Uh, Paula. Um, I met her, Dennis Miller. Mario. Paul
1: Reiser's wife is Paula.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that was I my didn't know that. I love that. Isn't that <laughs> awesome? Um, Dennis Miller, Mario Joyner, like these great comics. And so I'm booked. I'm doing Crusher Comic. And again, there's a snowstorm. It's always a snowstorm with my stories. And I'm in my hotel, which was about a mile and a half away from the club. And it was a Saturday night. And I call the club owners um, on the phone. The Schneider brothers were their names. And and I say, so no show tonight. And they say, oh, there's a show. We have eight people here. (laughs) I'm like, oh, show business is great. (laughs) I go, are you going to be able to pick me up? No. I go, how do I get there? You walk. So I put on a Crusher Comic mask because there's a blizzard going yeah. on. So I've got the Crusher Comic this is, mask right, on. The ski mask. And my props are already at the club, but I, I would take the masks home to air out because you don't want to put on a wet mask right. for your show. And so I'm walking down this hill and there happened to be a cop car. They pull over because they see a guy in a mask. Yeah. And they <laughs> want to know what up. And I say, Oh, I'm I'm Crusher Comic and I'm performing at the improv. And before I can say, can I have a ride? Because they had just rolled down their windows. They just rolled the windows back up and leave. So I I keep walking. So the sight of the sad little clown, that's how I felt, right? The sad little clown walking to the club to do a show for eight people was depressing me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in therapy then. Mm. And then I get there and I do my show. And I get to that part, the end, the Rock'em Sock'em Robots, where I bring somebody up, tie us with the chains. And I'm about to pull out the robots. First, I say, I'm going to give you a soft little slap. You slap me back really soft. Okay. Nods. And then he wraps his fist with the chain. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well. Right. And he just quickly cold cocks me and knocks me down to the ground. Oh, my God. The bouncer runs up. They take him out. I'm on the ground all groggy. Mm. Finally, the,
1: the remaining seven people are like, what just happened? What the
2: fuck just happened? Yeah. Although four of them were with him. Oh. So they left and mm. I'm left okay. with like four. Yeah. And I'm like, just like feeling my jaw. Mm-hmm. It wasn't broken. I'm just going.
1: Still though.
2: I, exactly. I'm just having the million thoughts, you know, like yeah. I, I knew enough to say, thank you. Good night. <laughs> I said that. And then I I sat at the bar And I was just sad. Yeah. And even though I had these incredible successful moments as Crusher, like I said, I headlined, you know, nights at the Just for Last festival, Mm. and I did a, you know, club soda in Montreal in front of like a thousand people, like, and I was on the cover of Wrestling World. I knew there was a limit, there was mm-hmm. a ceiling to this crusher comic mm-hmm. thing.
1: It's like you're outgrowing it, is what it sounds like. Yeah,
2: I think that's exactly it. And I'm I'm coming on 30. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming, I'm just about 30 years old. And it was a great way to make money as a kid. And you know, I'd go on the road for two weeks, like I'd be in LA at the comedy store, go on auditions, right? Then I'd go do two weeks in clubs for two reasons. One, I could only tolerate two weeks because of my voice. Mm-hmm. A lot of yelling, and then I wanted to be here to be seen at the comedy store and to get acting gigs. And you know, you can ru- I'd make three grand in the two weeks plus expenses, mm-hmm. so that was great for a kid in your right. twenties. But there was something really frat about the whole thing. You know what I mean? Frat, just, like frat, like yeah, fraternity? like fraternity. Mm-hmm. There was just something really, um, and I just you know said okay, you know, like let's pivot. And so then the writing started
1: Cr- question about crusher Comics. Yes. Did people know your real name was Mark Blutman or was there like a mystery about who the identity was?
2: So at the comedy store, yes, because there were always casting directors in the audience in the main room. And so I would do half the show as crusher, then take my mask mm. off and do 10 minutes as Mark. Cause they needed to see the face mm-hmm. on the road. Branding. There you go. Branding <laughs> before. branding, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, on the road, no. I played mm-hmm. the gimmick.
1: Like when you were on the cover of that magazine, does it in the article about you, does it say no? No. Okay. It's or was there, were people wondering, like, who is this guy?
2: Absolutely. I even had a friend, um, Andy Nolman, who um from Montreal, he was about five feet one, very you know, fun, Jewishy. – he played my manager, Main Street Maxi Schwartz. <laughs> so he – for some of the shoots, the photo shoots, he would, you know, do my manager, mm-hmm. you know, with the cigar and the <laughs> sunglasses That's and the fun. hat. We did one photo shoot. A friend of mine lived in Burbank on a big property with horses. Oh, maybe so- the rancho. The ran- that-
1: there, yeah, there's a, like a, an equestrian district called the yeah. Rancho. Yeah. In
2: fact, when I first got here, Howie, his wife Terry, myself and our friend Michael, we would go to the polo matches mm-hmm. at the Equestrian Center oh, nice. in Burbank. Um, but we went to that, um, they, you know, his horse property and a photographer came and Crusher Comic in a Hawaiian shirt. And Shorts was going around the stables showing his horses. Mm. So there were pictures of the guy in the mask with horses (laughs) as if I was this rich, horse-owning, former wrestler-turned-comic. We gimmicked it. And the cool thing was, in a club, i go into the green room, i get undressed, take my mask off, and go sit at the bar and talk to people. Hey, do you like the show? They're like, yeah, Crusher's awesome. We see him all the time. I Mm -hmm. go, me too. (laughs) And I would meet people, and they would have no idea. And then one city, I was very big in Colorado Mm -hmm. for some reason, and I would go there three times a year, sell out every night. They would add shows, give me the door. I was doing great. The radio station, the local station, would run a win a date with Crusher
1: contest.
2: So I would end up going out before the show, limo with a guest in clothes and the mask, Mm -hmm. sitting in a steakhouse in the mask. It was so much fun. But as a kid, as somebody mm-hmm. in your 20s, you, you see the frat part. Right, yes. And you see it's not the road if you want a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And so I was really lucky um to make the, the pivot. And, you know, the, I mean, there's a huge story, too, of how the writing career started. But you may have – other directions you want to go. No, I am in I am
1: curious about that. Um there is something I'm wondering from before though. You said that your mom had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. What kind?
2: Um depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, growing up, it was, you know, mom's tired a lot. Yeah. Why is mom always in bed? You know, and nobody sat me and my brother down and said, Well, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. We had this incredible nanny, this wonderful Jamaican woman named Jane. Who uh to this day is like part of our family, who was with me and my brother for about four or five of the bad years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. Did you ever see the Fablements?
1: I haven't seen it. Oh,
2: did you, Tony? I
0: still haven't seen it either.
2: Anyway, the, the Michelle Williams plays Steven Spielberg's mm-hmm. mom, and it just it triggered me so mm. she, you know, she, Spielberg's mom had mental health issues. Mm. Michelle Williams played her to perfection. There were lines of dialogue that your mom had said between me and my mom that was Mm -hmm. in the movie. There was a scene where, you know, Stephen was young. Stephen was always having issues. And one of the siblings said to him, you just don't like mom because you're just like her. That (laughs) I'm like right now. I'm just, you know, and so that's, that went on in my house. My mother and I had this very contentious Mm -hmm. relationship. She's funny as all get out but it was always a competition. Like if I mm. said something funny, it's not cool when you're being outdone by your mom or right. she's trying to, I'm like, not everything's a joke. And, you know, so there was a lot of that stuff going on, but in the movie, there were so many lines of dialogue. Michelle Williams was in bed a lot like my mom. And then there's a scene, a dinner scene in the movie where she made, salami and eggs for steven and the sisters well that's what my mom made us when she would get out of bed because it was late yeah and there was only time to make salami and eggs so i'm like sitting there and everybody's going okay you know whatever and then they're looking at this one dude who's (laughs) just losing it and i was losing it and um you know i've become in a lot of my work now, and we'll jump back to the beginning, mm-hmm. but the work I do now, I really try and be a positive advocate for mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I have two projects um, set up. One's a TV show, and then there's a movie actually set in the world of of wrestling mm-hmm. um, that they just talked about in Deadline last week called Arigato Tokyo. And it's a project that I've had in my head for a long time, and it's basically – Kind of like the wrestler meets lost in translation. It's oh, wow. except with a female wrestler who's late 40s, mm-hmm. who's lost communication with her 21 year old daughter mm-hmm. because she was never there. And now she abuses pills and booze and she does like house shows in mm-hmm. the you, Florida. You wrote this? Yeah. She does house shows in the Florida panhandle for like 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. She was once over, she was once huge, a huge star but she also has and this is you know kind of some subplot to it she has all these mental health issues anxiety depression memory loss mm-hmm. inability to sleep we come to discover it's from 20 years of concussion mm. so she's got post concussion syndrome that has been giving her these other right. symptoms and she's been taking pills to treat the symptoms but nobody till now diagnosed
1: well that's like, was this inspired by any real life situations
2: no, no. okay no and then the rest of the story and a big part of the plot is – so she's down and out and she has her bandager friend who also takes a, you know care of her as you – yeah know, he would go in the ring and do a gimmick and be her manager, mm-hmm. but he would also be a friend and handle her stuff. He's called Mr. Larry and he's actually based on this guy Barry Bloom who represents Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and all the big stars and he's a good friend of mine and he's called Mr. Barry. Oh, okay. So I named this character That's Mr. Nice. Larry. But anyway, he says to her towards the beginning of the movie, if you get your stuff together and get off the booze and the pills and you can just start showing me you're taking care of yourself, I can make a call because this promoter in Japan is always hitting me up for fresh angles. We'll send you to Tokyo and- We'll relaunch the feud you had 15 years earlier with Hoshi Tokayo, the big Japanese legend.
1: This movie sounds so good. so
2: good. It's the best thing I ever wrote. (laughs) Well, while there, she falls for a 28-year-old Japanese kid who ends up to be the kid of Hoshi.
1: Oh, wow. That
2: that she's fighting. Mm -hmm. So the last match, the big blow-off match, goes from work to shoot because Hoshi Mm -hmm. wants to kick the crap out of her because she's hanging out with the sun and it's wait
1: i'm sorry my brain is buffering okay someone remind me what shoot is shoot is real
2: shoot is real work is is fake and planned so the fight becomes real i
1: did memorize famously famously (laughs) i memorized a wrestling glossary i made tony quiz me but it's been a little while yeah so but
2: you're good with kayfabe yeah, I know that. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's got a lot of relationship stuff, and he helps heal her. He he takes her up to this place the 28-year-old. Yeah, he's really cool. He's into, you know, he natural helps her get healing her back. Kinda. They <laughs> go up to Mount Kumara and they, you know, very spiritual journey, and they're just amazing together mm-hmm. and platonic, but that's got the Lost in Translation vibes, right. which is one of my favorite movies yeah. ever. And it's just an amazing role for a female actor to come in and play this. Do you
1: already know who you're going to cast?
2: Well, we're just starting to go out now. I just handed the script in and people love it. And I would love Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would love uh, somebody like Cameron Diaz, Elizabeth Shue. So
1: blonde um, is what you're saying.
2: Well, the character is, but no, Angelina Jolie would kick ass too. They're, oh, yeah, you know, they but you know, they got to be able to do the physical. And then for the other part for Hoshi, the Japanese wrestler, there's far less scenes obviously, mm-hmm. and I want to cast an actual wrestler mm-hmm. to make to keep our actor safe and to right. make the wrestling look better if you cast two actors. And then there's a, a you know a, another substory with uh, the character's name is Annie, Annie Abel, and with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Who they're estranged, and I want to go after somebody like Billie Eilish to play the daughter. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so I just handed it in, and people love it. But That's so but, awesome. It's the best thing for me that I've ever written because it was so brutally honest. The mm-hmm. mother, yeah, even though she was a wrestler, she had parts of my mother, mm-hmm. and the daughter was all me. You yeah. Know, things the daughter said, I had said. I mean, you know, there's... There's a, a a moment where, you know, Annie says to the daughter, I just hate that you hate me. And she goes, I don't hate you. I'm just trying to understand you. So maybe one day I could like you. Mm. I mean, it's heavy, heavy yeah. drama. You know, but for me, you know, you know, and you hit a scene and you just start crying during yeah. the writing, and it's the worst and best feeling at the same time. And you know you've hit something, right?
1: Right, because it's so authentic. It's so
2: raw Mm. and and authentic. And you just, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh.
1: Has it taken you time as a writer to be able to be that real?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're doing sitcoms for most of your career. Mm. And... You know, the combination of, A, you've got to just make your audience laugh. I and mean, we did heavy episodes. And and in other shows I've done, there have been he- heavy episodes. But now, I'm just, you know, okay. I just press the button and say, just pour. Let it pour mm-hmm. out. Like, just be as authentic. And, you know, you write, I'm writing these things as much for me as for an audience. And if you're truthful, the audience will come. Yeah. We just will.
1: What's the TV show?
2: TV show um, is called Gripped and so it's uh adapted from an ip a best-selling uh ya book series of the same name gripped and it's uh, a it's about high school and college football in a boston community mm. and opioid addiction mm. and mental health and it's basically friday night lights meets euphoria mm-hmm. but with hope and less glorification of drug use
1: right i still haven't seen euphoria i think i watched part of an episode but it's like there was a moment where I feel like everyone was talking about it. So I feel like, should, like, should I go watch well,
2: it? I, I, listen, Zen the minute I saw the first episode, I said, oh, Zendaya is going to win an Emmy. Mm-hmm. She just kicked ass. She was so raw and authentic like we're talking. The first season I absolutely adored. Mm-hmm. And I felt the second season got really, really dark. And mm-hmm. it, it felt like it was glorifying you know sexuality and drug use a little bit and i kind of yeah and even my 22 year old was not as impressed with season two
1: are you watching yellow jackets
2: no no i have
1: some mixed feelings about it
2: i'm all in on succession oh
1: my god me too
2: i mean okay who's your who's your favorite sib
1: oh i mean shiv is who i wanted to say first but i really enjoy roman
2: I love Roman.
1: Did you know? I'm sorry that I have to bring this up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's blowing my mind. What is the birth order of the kids as far as you're concerned? Oh, Do you know where I'm going with yeah.
2: this? No, but I don't. Oh, about who would no, like, naturally have the business?
1: No, who's the young? who's the oldest? Who's the youngest? Like, what's the order of siblings?
2: Uh, you know what? I don't really know. Maybe somebody does. If I had a guess, I would say Roman's the youngest.
1: This is the correct answer of what you're supposed to guess. That's what I always thought, too. Not? No. Apparently, Siobhan is the youngest.
2: Why are you so formal with her? She's Why do I Shiv call- to me.
1: Because Shiv is a stupid nickname. Sorry, any Shivs out there.
2: Yeah, I don't <laughs> think you have to worry about that.
1: That's <laughs> what I, That's my point. No yeah. one goes by Shiv.
2: Which is so cool. Okay, yeah. I think that shows is, is, is next level. You know, so good. and and again, you know, as, as, as a writer and a 33 year member of the Writers Guild and, you know, we're out there yeah. walking and striking and doing that thing right now. It's like when you watch shows like Succession that make these, you know, studios so wealthy beyond their wildest imagination and you're like, and you want to make us disposable.
1: Right. It's fucked up.
2: It's so fucked up. Uh- There's my answer, by the way. I've been saying f the whole time.
1: Oh yeah, we we say stuff. Okay, I know. So now, you said,
2: you an said, hour we're in. I finally yeah. hear Allison go, "Yeah, it's fucked up." I know, and I keep saying f.
1: I <laughs> notice you. I, I that I didn't notice, but you said about the wrestler. If you can get your stuff together, and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't
2: that say that. I didn't, didn't say Listen,
1: I need to talk about a couple things real fast, and then we need to get back into everything. I need to hear about the Olsen twins. I need to hear. I have a specific Howie Mandel question, but first, listen. You've been stewing about a health problem you have. You almost resort to texting your group chat to get your friends' opinions. You're extremely unlikely to find quality medical advice in your group chat. Well, they don't know who my friends are. Maybe I'm friends. Just kidding. You're right. Your friends don't know. But you can find it from a doctor on ZocDoc. Thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc are there to help you. They listen like a friend and give you the expert care you need. Uh, No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. Go to ZocDoc.com slash best friend and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc, dot com slash best friend, ZocDoc.com slash best friend. I also need to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Um, listen, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, or even if just I think earlier in this episode, you know, I'm a huge Fan of therapy, uh, I have. I was actually just thinking earlier. I was today. I was thinking about where my life would be if I hadn't availed myself of therapy um, when I was younger, and it just, uh, it both makes me feel better on a weekly basis, and it just improves my life immensely. Um, I've I've talked about that a lot, though. But anyway, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you, and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. Uh, But when we spend all our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched and thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash best friend today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com slash best friend. Okay. And we're back. So, how aware are you of like Vanderpump rules and hashtag Scandable? Not at all. Okay. Not, not Vanderpump. Do you know? That uh, your good friend Howie Mandel has gotten sucked up into the drama a little bit. He's on the fringes of the drama. Do you know about this?
2: I I do know because I've seen some clips on IG that mm. he's posted with okay. uh, Tom Sandoval. Yes, but I don't. I I don't. I don't know. do like, okay. I don't know.
1: it's okay if you don't. So for anyone who doesn't know, which is you apparently, big scandal in Vanderpump World where this long-standing couple. Uh, that everyone thought was a solid couple. It turned out that the guy who was on Howie's show was cheating with another girl in the friend group who was like really good friends with the woman for months and months and months. Um, and production supposedly didn't like, no one knew. Although the more the season goes on, it's like, did production really not know? But anyway, um, Tom Sandoval, the main character, not main character in the internet sense, but just the key figure in all this went on Howie Mandel's podcast because he plays in a band with someone who has a relationship with someone connected to Howie. Um, but I guess Howie, it was clear, doesn't watch Vanderpump. And so didn't like, I don't know. So that's why he's getting blowback.
2: But people are coming at him for not knowing
1: a little bit. Yeah. Because they feel like he, uh, he was. I haven't seen it. I've only seen clips as well. But I guess he was like kind of generous to Tom Sandoval. Like I don't kind He's of say
2: always generous. Yes, to everybody.
1: but everyone yeah. hates Tom Sandoval right now. So it was like he was giving cover to this guy who everyone feels like his
2: behavior was like
1: unconscionable. Wow, it's weird. It's this has become national news. There was
2: Jackie there. Who's Jackie? Uh, Jackie is Howie's daughter who. Does the show with him because she maybe would have known. I think more. maybe,
1: yeah, I think so. But I she
2: could have run interference for that a little bit, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. But I'm just saying that there are people who are like, well, I think Andy Cohen came for Howie a little bit, really, yes. But I think it's there it's. I'm now speaking out of turn. Um, so, Bravo. My understanding is Bravo is not thrilled with all of these people going on podcasts and talking about stuff because their big reunion is coming up. Um, so they and so I think that I don't know what their press rules are, but Tom should have gotten clearance before going on and I I think this is as far as I understand, right. I think he didn't. So I Howie not Howie, Andy like made a couple comments on watch what happened live about it. So
2: Yeah. I, you know
1: if you're not in the world it's no
2: not but deal. even if i'm in the world like just everybody chill <laughs> like that's all just... sorry no can do yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> not when it comes you, to scandal.
2: you were the first tweet weren't you I you was. started no
1: it. i didn't i didn't but i have had my own tiny tiny i had a role in it but peter madrigal who's also on the cast uh lesser role on the cast but but uh, a mainstay um, has been on my show a couple times. He okay. actually was just on. But the first time he was on, it like got picked up by tons of press. It was just like went nuts. Like people are just rabid for this story Absolutely. right now. Yeah. Because th-
2: and I think that people in general are rabid for 48 hours of bullshit and then move on to the next.
1: Yeah. But this one has pain power. It's got legs. It's talking 72 hours. Yeah. There you go. I mean, it's. <laughs> There's oh no my end.
2: gosh! No, that now how many years of Vanderpump have there been? If Let's I see. decide to binge,
1: oh boy!
2: Yeah, no, right?
1: N- <laughs> it's a lot. Um, I think it started in 2012, maybe. Really? Is that possible, Tony? Can you look it up? No, 2012. I think maybe that doesn't sound right. To no, me. that's 11 years ago. I mean, I feel like I think we're in season 10 right now. I-
2: yeah but there's seasons i mean they could do three seasons within 12 months this is true
0: i could be wrong now i'm curious tony what do you got i'm, I'm working the internet is always very slow for me out here
1: yeah we have terrible internet out here isn't that great for a studio
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> let me look it up okay
2: i mean i i don't remember having heard of it in 2011 i'd be very surprised me saying things like I'd be very surprised is my version of hold music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that you're filling time. Absolutely. Did it's RJ like write back 20, to 20, you?
0: 2013.
1: Oh, like, my God. I am owed off. an apology. Do you, no, I no, said 2012.
0: You said 2011.
1: Did I say 2011,
0: Tony? I think you said 2011.
1: Well, I meant in my head I meant 2012. Uh-oh, we're getting crackles. <laughs>
2: I said, can we call you potentially? Mm-hmm. And RJ said, it's going that badly? <laughs> Was that so, even discussed even- on the show, though, that, that he...
1: No, we okay. haven't. We haven't yeah. even discussed the fact... Here, I'm going to move your phone off the table. Right. Um, or else Tony will come for you. We haven't... <laughs> I said at the beginning that we have mutual friends, but we have not discussed who our mutual friends. We haven't is. discussed
2: that. We haven't talked at all about Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, Olsen Twins. And we've covered, uh, like... It's probably over an hour.
1: It is, which it's,
2: means we're becoming fast friends.
1: We are, I mean, not even fast. Legit, I guess. This is all right. nice. Which which should we talk about?
2: You choose. I don't know. All right, I'll no, no, choose.
1: No, no, no. All right, okay. I'm, so I'm we happy know each, to be here. We know each other through RJ City. RJ, um, who I, I feel like I don't need to clarify who that is because he's been on the show so many times at but this they, point.
2: They, first of all, he's been on the show almost what? Twenty times it feels no, like no, not it's, twenty. Well then it's he like, keeps retweeting to make himself look more popular it's than it's like he is. thirteen
1: or fourteen or something.
2: He's been on a ton. What's amazing is you for some reason, you are the one podcast the that hell- I kept soliciting. Right? Didn't I keep coming after you? When am I gonna be on? When yes. am I gonna be on? I wanna be on.
1: Well, I haven't a, but, done that with anybody. RG. Oh, thank you.
2: Like I just felt like I want to be <laughs> now on. Now you really are her new best friend. Yeah. <laughs> you, just badly, uh, you know, but you know com- people
1: like, who can't take compliments? I am not one of them. <laughs> no, I'll <laughs> I give it love it to you. a fucking compliment. I remember
2: I tweeted, so when am I gonna be on? Yeah. And you're like, Who are you? and No, uh, RJ you know-
1: Well, RJ was doing your bidding at the beginning.
2: I don't even like RJ, but okay.
1: No, no one does. He just inserts himself.
2: He's
1: everywhere. Yeah, he, he like wears you down until that's, eventually you're like, oh,
2: that's, I guess we're friends. Exactly. And that's why he knows so much about pop culture in case he meets somebody. Oh, right. Tony Shalhoub. I yeah. know everything about you. Yeah. I'm your be- – right. Stephen Weber. Yeah. Like, no one's you know, buying it. It's bull. It's he just bullshit. researches things. Yeah. He
1: just sits right. there yeah. Googling oh, shit. You know what? The- we have Wikipedia too. Yeah,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. That's his best friend. I know. Friend. His best friend is Wikipedia. Wikipedia, not even Dalton Castle. His best friend is Wiki.
1: Yeah.
2: They did you just know look that, shit up.
1: Did you know yes. that Dalton asked RJ to be his best man at his wedding?
2: Okay, I'm glad you said at his wedding. I thought it was like <laughs> asking, the, oh, asking to, him out. Yeah, no, <laughs> was, no. no to be his Can best... you be my best right, man? Right, right. Like, no, that you yes, like my number your, one gal or something. Your pause was so crevice-like. I it was like, did you know RJ asked Dalton or Dalton asked mm-hmm. RJ? I don't even know who asked who. To be his best man? Two, three, four. At his wedding. Well, like you a, mo-
1: I did. I, I, I inserted a crevice, apparently. Huge. Um, <laughs> in <and> a <an laughs> we'll abyss. <let> that.
2: <laughs> Tony, that'll be cut. I could say shit. I could say fuck, but you inserting... Can't well, you said inserting the crevice is what you said.
1: I feel like that's fine. <laughs> what am I missing? I don't know. <laughs> We're not inserting something into a crevice. Listen years ago on the podcast after i had my first child daniel and i, I think at my encouraging talked about how cuz he saw the whole thing just how he was just he's like your vagina is huge during childbirth <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank god during yes yeah. although i mean honesty is also really, i mean we just we'll wanna... i
1: don't i don't need that kind of honesty after the fact
2: <laughs> right if but I'm, during
1: during, yes. Yeah. Well, when, what do
2: you dilate to? What's the normal?
1: Well, your cervix dilates to 10 my centimeters. My cervix? Probably not yours, <laughs> no, but mine. Uh, a gal's cervix yes dilates. A birthing person's cervix yes. dilates to 10 centimeters. I was
2: going to say 10 centimeters, You're I swear. Right.
1: Yeah, that's good Good that you and know that.
2: being from Canada, centimeters mm. make sense to me.
1: Right, and it doesn't make sense to me, but I think it's like the size of an orange it's, or it's, something. It's
2: maybe two and a half inches.
1: Which doesn't sound like that much, but it feels no, like No, but
2: that's why all the goop right. helps. The goop yeah. makes like a sliding thing. It's I mean, easier. it's
1: not as lubed up as you'd think.
2: Well, I was in the room. Oh, no, I wait. mean, it, oh, it is. I'm such an idiot. I was going, I was in the room, I know. And then I went, wait, both my kids were C-section. Oh. So I never saw yeah, it. Yeah, you never yeah, saw it. I never, I've never seen a period. We were married 14 years. I still haven't seen it. We're divorced 10 years. I never saw it. So I couldn't say big, small, yeah. whatever.
1: You just don't think about like – you, you could imagine a cervix being dilated, but you don't think about what happens to the rest of everything. What apparently, does? Apparently, it just gets huge. I don't know. That's what my husband said.
2: It was huge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I love is she's not just going, it was huge. It was huge. That's like, how he described it. The delivery, not of the baby, yeah. but the delivery of the of word the way huge, huge, of yeah. the way he said it, was huge.
1: But it's funny because yes. if he were to say to me now, like, honey –
2: your vagina is
1: huge i would not think it's funny and i wouldn't want to share it on the show and in fact i would i would be like
0: well the scenario is a little different yes exactly (laughs) right
1: no but it would be huge because of what the other time you know what i'm sorry can i ask you a question (laughs) can we do this sure sure
2: where's the line for you in terms of sharing with your audience
1: (laughs) (laughs) um I don't have
2: one. Well, That's you do. The no, no, you do.
1: Oh, because if he told me my vagina.
2: You to me, if I was asked, what do you think Allison's, you know, line is uh, to not cross? I'd say she would not comment on the size of her vagina.
1: But you'd be wrong, I guess.
2: But you said before you would not want your husband oh. to say it's huge.
1: Yeah. No. Right. You mean in a non in a non birth setting? Yeah. Right. Yeah
2: like if if we yeah were i would feel uncomfortable with that i guess genitalia sure. sizage <laughs> not that i would
1: no yet yeah, not that, that I is would. one of the
0: segments we're gonna do <laughs>
2: <laughs> i do like
1: i got a little song play gen- it tony <laughs> genitalia
2: <laughs> sizage yeah i would maybe play i wouldn't go first okay would you play tony I uh, p- sure but you would not
1: well, if everyone's going to, I will. I will get peer pressured into it. <laughs> I
0: mean, I'm not saying
2: I want to. <laughs> don't you have a fucking ad to read? That would be a good time. I'm turning red. I'm embarrassed. But but we all have lines.
1: Yes, I stumble upon them sometimes during a show. I'll it's be too like, late, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I I don't I don't have a ton of lines. Um,
2: <laughs> but it's interesting. Now, now let me take it back and and, and make it interesting. A in person, all that. Three years ago, a line for me would have been I would not have discussed my mother's mm. mental health. And now I just feel that we all should advocate for authenticity and whatever that entails. Now, by the way, if somebody's not comfortable with something, that's cool too. Yes. But I want to, you know, I, I want everything to become normalized where you can just say shit to I, somebody. That's
1: my whole thing. I think the the where it gets complicated is when it like when it's someone else's when someone else doesn't want you to talk about it. And that's what I run into with like Which my is fine. my not this family but right. like my family of origin. They right. can they can be very private and they right. would wrap, you know, and so that's where I And been
2: my I grew up my parents were complete uh, you know, secret hoarders. They mm. told us nothing. Yeah. Like nothing to this day. They you know, they both went through a lot. They both got covid they live in las vegas they both got covid before vaccines like right they were like mm. patient fucking z- it was tom hanks rita wilson and my parents oh. i mean they were right the, yeah. they were in the hospital for four months oh my
1: god wow you
2: know three months hospital one month rehab they were, were they a on mess. ventilators no they, it never attacked their lungs horribly okay. so they never were intubated they were on you know oxygen right but you know we they would you know now they're in a nursing home and my mom struggles and you know we'll all know from my dad's voice. I'll call him up and hear him answer the phone going, hello. And I, Oh, mom's really bad. Huh? Mm. No, she's fine. (laughs) And you hear in the background, just throwing shit against the wall. And I'm like, dad, like, I get it. You did when I was a kid, you don't. But you could say stuff now. We want to know, mm-hmm. and they just they were. And I, I don't think it was just my parents. I think no, it was a generation. Exactly. Totally. Like it's everything tough. was. You know, I I think my parents were swingers, and really, re- yes, because I found a picture from a New Year's Eve in the Laurentians up in Canada. Those were the ski mountains, and all these, like there were six couples, but in the picture. Pineapples. The wives, like, were, like my mom was not with my dad. My dad was in another part of the picture with somebody else. Like, none of the And married, they were, like, couples, arms around? Or? Yeah, they were all together smoking. My dad looked like fucking Dean Martin. They uh-huh. were smoking, and he had a martini glass. And you're looking at this picture. And, and, and then, you know, also, like, I remember this. Like, we about five years ago, six years ago, we were uh, back in Montreal at a f- funeral for one of their friends who passed away. and And, and somehow it came up that um all our parents used to smoke pot together and i'm like you smoke pot (laughs) and by the way i never have like to this day i've never never done any drugs and which is amazing knowing my mom was a drug addict (laughs) now finding out right but they smoke pot they probably swung they just should but i guess you can't share that like you don't sit down your 16 year old son and say (laughs) by the way just so you know you know our our friend joyce uh, i slept with her right like you're not going to just offer it so i guess i get it Mm -hmm. so the more secrets they had the more fun they probably had (laughs) i guess the more they didn't tell me i should just guess that they had a great time
1: now could you ever talk to your dad about that now
2: at 89 Probably not. No. (laughs) You know, now he's just, you know, people are like, your parents are still together? I go, yeah, they've been married like 64 years. And and then I'm like, you know, my dad would probably leave, but we took the car keys away when he was 85. (laughs) So he's, you know, uh, would I, no, not now. You know, the big thing I always think about is when my mom, you know, and she's got a lot of health stuff, you know, I always picture... The terms, did you ever see terms of endearment? Many years ago. So you don't really, so there's a scene with Deborah Winger. She's in the hospital. She's dying of cancer and. The boy, the oldest son, who was maybe twelve, thirteen, is is there, and the younger kid is being all loving to his mom, and the the older one, me, arms mm-hmm. folded in the hospital room, not even making eye contact with Deborah Winger, and Deborah Winger is crying, just going, one day, years from, you you're gonna realize how much you loved me, and I know you loved me, right. and I watch that scene, and I just go, why didn't I get cast? I mean, this is, I know the lines, <laughs> and I'm always like in my head, like, am I gonna have to have this deborah winger moment with my mother Mm -hmm. it's tough it's fucking brutal it's so tough see now that i know i can f yeah (laughs) yeah let it out it's fucking brutal it's brutal it's brutal um but you know and that's why i came up with that line in erigato tokyo about you know just trying to understand you so one day i could maybe like you yeah i love my mom but there's a lot of shit i don't like yeah um you know just a lot of stuff
1: do you talk to her a lot
2: Yeah, but not about not Not, issues. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to my dad more. I'm Mm -hmm. closer to my dad, but it's funny because like even the kids, I got two boys, Luke and Liam, who are like the best. Just I adore them and they make my life so, you know, meaningful. They're twenty two and twenty-four. They adore gramps Mm. and they like grandma, but they know all the shit and they make fun in the house just because they saw me do it. Right, and so that you know, they kind of default to. But it's also, you know, she's also difficult.
1: Does she have, is the, does she have warmth? Can she be warm or?
2: So it never feels genuine. Yeah. As a kid, it never felt. <laughs> never felt genuine. It felt like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But in her defense, she's had besides the mental health issues, she's had <laughs> physical issues her whole life too. So since you know she's had crohn 's disease mm. now she has macular degeneration so she's eighty five percent blind think, yeah, yeah she has rough. like eighty five percent blindness she's um psoriasis arthritis, mm-hmm. all these things, so when she was a major flirt when she was you know in her swinging swinging, but she was also a major flirt, and I saw it mm-hmm. I saw things as a twelve year old that disturbed me that yeah. I still have in my head and she was just because she had all these health issues both mentally and physically i think she was just looking for any kind of validation and attention so she would be outwardly flirty the other thing that she used to do that was very hard to deal with that i still um you know kind of come sometimes i compare Mentalize it. Sometimes I let it out, but you know, I just remember as a kid, 12, 13 years old. We're in a restaurant, the four of us—me, my brother, my mom, and dad—and like somebody'll walk in and walk right past the table, and my mom's like, "Oh, why is she wearing that outfit? Look at her fat ass in that outfit!" Mm. I'm like, "Mom, you don't even know her. Like, yeah. what are you doing?" And so she was, you know. It, but
1: now, would she say it so that the 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 person with the fat ass would hear it? Or no, just, but, but but you heard the judgment. I heard it. Just the constant, I heard the, c- the constant, critical,
2: critical thing. And so, you know, she was, my dad gave her everything. My dad would sometimes lie to everybody and it would be a tough year, but mom wanted to buy a condo in Florida. So dad would buy a condo in Florida. He loved her and Mm -hmm. gave her the world, which is why they're still together. But, you know, I guess, you know, she was kind of like a Jewish American princess. And so I as a Jewish I never dated a Jewish girl, mm. and I my ex wife was not Jewish. I went the complete yeah, other opposite. way, so just tons of stuff. But thank God, did you go
1: the opposite way to like a Charlize Theron, Elizabeth Shue, Angelina Jolie type? Just
2: kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my ex was uh, was blonde, mm-hmm. and That's you know so never insane. wore makeup. I hated makeup because my oh. mom wore a ton of okay. it. Okay. My ex never wore makeup. Mm. I love a very natural. Are we
1: talking like is this like a Daryl Hannah type?
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I nailed it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, all that Uma Thurman, yeah. like whatever, okay. just any
1: natural cool looking, just cool, blonde. vibey. Oh, Laura Dern. Eh, less so. Less okay. so. Less so. Got it.
2: Um. Uh, back in the day, Ali Sheedy. You know, weird Ali Sheedy in Breakfast My club husband
1: that. had yeah. it. Bad for Ali Sheedy. Get
2: in line, buddy.
1: He, uh, when he was a teenager, was going to be in Chicago in O'Hare and like was convinced. And I don't even know why he felt that he was going to run into her there. But we always talk about this as just like the, like the fantasies of when you have a crush on a movie star. And yeah. he just was sure he was going to meet her and they were going to fall in love at the airport.
2: That's wild. I think it's
1: the sweetest story.
2: It's sweet. Do you remember? Like, here's me in a nutshell. Do you guys remember the show from way back WKRP in Cincinnati? Mm-hmm.
1: Ye- I, yes, I don't remember it well. But anyway, I, it was
2: a brilliant yes. show. Disc jockeys in Cincinnati. Sure. It was. There's some iconic. Is Lonnie
1: era. Anderson on that show. Yes, mm-hmm. so that's where
2: I'm going. Okay. So you're good. <laughs> so there was Lonnie Anderson and Jan Smithers, mm. who played Bailey was the character's name. Lonnie was big boobs and makeup and tight fitting dresses and high heels and people drooled over her jan smithers was very natural kind of hippie vibe i love jan smithers i always liked that kind of natural hippie vibe chick like i just like no artifice no none yeah just always and you know quirks like you know wearing their sleeves over their hands and just <laughs> all these fun little things yeah. and jeans and t-shirts. The the character that I talked about in Erigata Tokyo, she wears ripped jeans and seven, Patty Smith t-shirts, like mm-hmm. 70s rocker t-shirts faded that she's had forever. Is that's my, you know, that's what I fantasilize. Fantas well.
1: Fantasize. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fantasize.
2: <sighs> I just made up a word. I like it. It's not going well. Um. Yeah. But amazing. We have so much we stuff to talk I know. about. I know. <laughs> I know. What
1: <laughs> well, were the Olsen twins got, like, got,
2: dude,
0: I love that dude. it was like, yeah, we have so much to talk about still. And then there was like ten minutes on how huge your vagina
2: is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it seemed relevant
2: yeah i mean it's it's seamless it was organically she,
1: mark stopped down the show I, to discuss I, all how i said was i thought
2: to, it was funny he
1: said insert a crevice <laughs> and i what kind of host would i be if i didn't tell a story about my giant vagina at that point
0: that's, that's a good point i take it all back
1: i have an obligation <laughs> i know it seems like it's just fun for me but i do have a job to do tony <laughs> um what were the olsons like
2: So I ran so little time when the girls were like 15, 16. Okay. And the show was on Fox Family and it was doing well. I was not on it and the girls were unhappy. Mm -hmm. It was very similar to everything they've always done in their movies and it was just pandering and, you know, how many outfits can we wear in one episode because they were a billion dollar brand. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, Walmart had corners of Olsen Twin dolls and bedsheets and hair dryers and everything. They were huge. But they didn't like the direction of the show. I got brought in. And I met them because they were executive producers on the show. Mm -hmm. 15 years old, executive producers.
1: Hey, you almost wrote for SNL at 17. Yeah, there you go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But they were a billion-dollar brand. I was just a kid with a plane ticket to New York. But – Um, I sat down with them. I said, "I want to challenge you guys. I'm going to, you know, adult up the show, and um, I I want to challenge you guys. And I'm going to give you really good scenes. I'm going to give one of you a love interest, and we'll do like dating and breakups. I'll do kind of the Corey Topanga thing. And I ended up doing that with with Mary Kate. And I said, if you guys trust me, I said I'm going to elevate you guys. I'm going to challenge you as actors." And if you're having trouble with the scene, call me. I will come down from my office. I will sit here. I'll talk you through it. I'll explain. So my goal was to truly challenge them, adult up the show. And I said, if you trust me, there might be, I think, I, I think somebody can get nominated for an Emmy. And they looked at me wow, we've Mm -hmm. been in this business forever and nobody ever. And so Mary Kate was the one that ultimately I gave the boyfriend to, and then breakups. And there were great, powerful scenes to submit. And the line producer submitted them. And sure enough, Mary Kate got nominated for best uh, actor in a children's TV show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ashley was upset, obviously. Why did Mary Kate get it me? So there was that rivalry. Then the night of the Emmys comes and it's a big deal, and Mary Kate is sitting there. And unfortunately, she lost the Emmy to uh, Elmo. <laughs> Elmo the won Elmo. the Emmy. Elmo. Elmo won the Elmo won the Emmy for best actor in a children's <laughs> series. And so can you imagine like you finally get that and you lose to the, to puppet, the little yeah. puppet red sock thing? But it was a great experience in that, you know, it was surreal working with them because it was much different. Like the kids on boy were so grounded. They had these amazing families, you know, I'm understanding of mm-hmm. Mary Kate and Ashley and that they, that their home life, you know, I believe mom was committed a couple of times. Dad okay. had an affair, I believe with the nanny. I, I you know, um, it, it was just a messy situation, but then it's also surreal in that, you know, like you're on set, and, you know, one day a week we're doing network run through. And so it's three o'clock. Go down to the stage. All the chairs are lined up. I'm on my chair. The network's there. It's three o'clock. It's now three oh five. It's now three ten. Where's Mary Kate? Where's Ashley? And the network is like, you know, we have another show. We have yeah. to go cover. What is going on? Where are the girls? And I see uh RAD, you know, off our assistant director, and you see him on the house phone in the on the stage and he's like oh my gosh his head and i just come here and he comes over i go where are the girls and he whispers in my ear where the girls are and i turn to the network and they go what where where's mary kate and ashley i go they're lear jet shopping Mm -mm. they're turning 16 and apparently they're lear jet shopping How do you make? I'm not make this right, is the yeah. stuff that is going on, and and so, but to their credit, and I'm really fond of everybody I work with, especially young people, because, I mean, they're growing up on a set. How do you grow up on a set? I had enough right. trouble growing up in an upper middle class neighborhood in a Jewish community in Canada. Yeah, that was messed up. Now be on camera from the time you come out of the big vagina, <laughs> things are. <laughs> this is not just you.
1: Yeah, no, I think that they're all pretty all
2: big. huge. huge. <laughs> So I I was very empathetic. Now the show was doing great. People loved it. Um I had a great time. I met a- Amy Davidson, I cast, who do you know Amy Davidson, Mm-mm. the actress? She went on, Did you ever see Eight Simple Rules? No. Dating Teenage Daughter, oh, John, oh, Ritter, wait. Yes, late, yes, yes. John Ritter. Great John Ritter. Uh she was one of Who was
1: the teen on that?
2: Amy and Kaylee Kuko.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: yes. Uh, anyway, Amy's a redhead. I made her a redhead. I was the guy who made her a oh. redhead because on the Olsen Twins, she came into audition as this new character. And I'm like, you know, Mary Kay and Ashley had approval. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're never going to cast another blonde. Mm. I said, if you really want this part, I'm going to fight for you, but I need you to come back as a redhead. And she did. And then she, after our show, she got cast on that ABC show. Oh, that's she's cool. still a redhead now. And she's a mom and kids and amazing. Uh, but back to Mary Kate and Ashley. So the show was doing great. And I say this to their credit. Fox family wanted to pick it up at the end of that season for two more seasons. Fifty, fifty-six episodes. Wow. The girl said no. Mm. The girls were ready to walk away. Their
1: Learjet was waiting.
2: Their Learjet was waiting. It <laughs> was a hell of an exit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Right. And They'll they get in their jet at night. the
2: Universal a lot, and boom. They want. They knew, and I really respect that. Mm. And they, you know, I think one or both went to school for a while, and then they got into fashion. And one of them, I think, married a Greek son of a Greek fishing magnet, and you know all that stuff that normal kids do. <laughs> but I respect that they like knew, you know. And I felt bad, and I just had one conversation with them because, you know, you, you see your crew, and you know 56 episodes for your crew is a lot of money. Yeah. And for me, too. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, creatively, we're on a great track, and it'd be really cool and all that stuff. And they said, no, we're really burnt. And I went, God bless you. You know, you yeah. are you going to do? so. But I haven't seen them since. Oh, this was really cool. One day they said to me, <laughs> You should. I, I was talking about Amy and the blonde. They they asked me to dye my hair blonde, and I did. I came back to set one day, and I was a blonde. Uh,
1: what color was your hair?
2: Uh, like brownish, reddish. Okay. but I had a lot of hair. Right. And so, and my kids were so tiny, and they were so small. And one of the kids said, "I look like a little duckling." Oh, <laughs> like, that's so Dad, cute. Daddy looked like a duckling. Oh, that's his so hair cute. is white. <laughs>
1: um oh my god we are basically out of time but i'm realizing we haven't done just mirror everyone or hey go fuck yourself so let's do those. and we didn't even mention
2: boy meets world i know which is crazy you'll
1: just have to come back
2: is what we'll have to do okay uh
1: <laughs>
2: see i'm I'm really good at. I, <laughs> I stalked you to put me on yeah and, and now knew you knew if it, i kept babbling yeah i'd have to come back i know
1: <laughs> yeah I know we never tied Oh, I maybe we did finish that story. Anyway, yeah. So, it was RJ who kept letting me know that you want to come on more than more than you, I think. I feel like you had a, a go between. But then look, now it's, it's happening. It's all
2: the same. Yeah. It's all the same. Um, Meanwhile, he keeps texting me going, are you guys calling? Oh, really? Calling? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I want to play your two games.
1: Okay, yes. Uh, also, I should mention I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rosen. Patreon. Patreon. All sorts of fun stuff. The Friend Zone is my bonus Patreon podcast. I just love where you can text me. I'll text you back. Uh, if you do an annual subscription, you get two months free. Patreon.com slash Rosen. Okay, let's do just me or everyone.
2: Sometimes I wonder on Something I have thought or done is it just me
1: or everyone? All right. Do you have a just me or
2: everyone? So I do one of the weirdest things in the world. Perfect. It's perfect. I this. think it is. So my kids are always on me about sugar, too much sugar, Pops. Come on, Pops, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, like the the Oreos now, the – like the you like peel back yeah, the, the flap top thing, the yeah. flap thing so what i do is i'll go into the cabinet right the cupboard and i'll take it out and i'll peel it back i'll take a bunch of cookies mm-hmm. but then move all the other cookies to the front of the line oh so it looks full so it every time they peel it back it looks like nobody's taken a cookie oh i love this is it just me
1: that can't be just you. It's
2: genius, though. I For, mean... like, fat people who are cheating? Yeah. Like me? Right. It's I mean, I've
1: done all sorts of... weird. I don't think I've ever done that because I've i never had, like, other people, you know, uh, monitoring my food in that way, but oh, I've done all sorts of everything. weird yeah. things. Like, I was really using too much Splenda. <laughs> I couldn't do a real Splenda phase. I was using too much Splenda, so I would take this is when i lived in new york and i would throw out first of all i put all the the like ripped through packets in back in the box and then i put it in the track at the bottom like i was hiding my splendid trash cuz i i don't know what i was even afraid of and by the year, by the way that year for my birthday or for christmas i think my landlord got me a splendid cookbook so it's like they knew
2: that's funny. They did know. They
1: knew. It wasn't working. But Was no. it
2: bothering you that you were doing this? Were you worried that people were going to know and find out? Did it keep you up? Did you?
1: No. I just think periodically I'd be like, how much cancer am I giving myself by going through Splenda this fast?
2: See, more people like that who worry about that, you all need to get a pet rat and give them the same amount of Splenda at the same time. because so that I
1: mean, that's just smart. Right,
2: <laughs> that way you see if- the same amount, yeah.
1: proportionally, or like the same amount.
2: No, no, no. You got to make it rat size. Rat size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to. I do mean, the I math. think that
1: they've done they've done that with rats before, though.
2: I understand, but nobody has done it in the home. This is right. that's the point You're I'm right, making. I'm right. not take saying take it out
1: of the lab into into the home. The home. Yes, so that way, that could be your canary in your, the coal mine.
2: Exactly. Is this going to kill me? Right. I don't know let's see how the rat does it's smart genius <sighs> <sighs> um i was going to talk- tony who was genius right get a pet rat and give yeah, the rat yeah i mean yeah, we absolutely. were all, we were all thinking it yeah. absolutely
1: you know i've made a real 180 on rats because i used to be <laughs> highly anti rat and i'm not even,
2: i'm
1: not even talking about it from a union standpoint um i follow this account that has the cutest rats and like i look at people playing with them and i look at them being all cute And I'm like, you know, they can, like, I I I know people who have pet rats, and yeah, I've just, I think I'm pro-rat now. Yeah. So you
2: would not then bring a rat into the home and and fill him with Splenda? No, I would. (laughs) You don't love him that much.
1: But what I think I, this is, the real test will be if I see one in my home, how will I react? Will I react like, oh, cute, let me put it on Instagram, or will I be like, ah, get it out of here? No. I don't think I'll be cool with it.
2: Speaking of. Rats. Mm -hmm. Can I segue to Mouse? Sure. (laughs) This is on my head because we're just talking logic and this and that. So the other day, because all the major studios that I'm striking against are struggling so badly, (laughs) Disney announced that they were laying off 7,000 employees. Yes, I remember this. The press release went out. And what I saw, at least on deadline, was Disney bloodbath, 7,000 let go. Yeah. And Mickey Mouse logo is right next to the copy going.
1: That's a big smile. <laughs> big for those smile. Thing. Yeah. Big
2: smile. Like, how the fuck do you make an announcement that you're letting go of 7,000 right. and there's your corporate brand with the happy mouse? At least – Get a, gra- like, Photoshop a gra- yeah. and fucking put a they frown should have on. a
1: more serious-looking
2: yes. Mouse face. You don't do the happy for delivering, welcome to Disney right. World mouse. For delivering bad news. I'm being serious.
1: No, I I just saw it, and I'm I was disgusted. You. Yeah.
2: like You've got to have another mouse, another version, like right. another photo shoot, mm-hmm. shop, whatever, of, you know, like, maybe the mouse with a hand over his head, shaking the head, going, this is horrible. Right. You don't like – I just – I didn't like that.
1: It sounds like it was in poor taste.
2: Oh, hugely. Do
1: you have a hey, go fuck yourself?
2: Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, as we're striking, mm-hmm. it's all the CEOs. It's, yeah. it's, it's these guys who run the streamers who are trying to tell us. Um, so I've been in the Writers Guild for 33 years. I've had this incredible career. I'm so blessed that when I hit 65, I have this amazing pension. Healthcare always – and these young writers who are the future the next generation who have these incredible stories to tell are not being offered the same career that i had mm-hmm. now you know shows they these big ceos they they them and their team it's all about the numbers it's all about the algorithm it's all about the metrics all we're asking for is basically 2% yeah of their profits that they make off our content So not only do they, you know, not want to meet, but they've created, uh, here's an example. There's mini rooms now. So if there's Mm -hmm. a show, they'll tell the showrunner, um, we need, we want to read six scripts to see if we're going to make the series back in the day. It used to be, you shoot a pilot, you test the pilot at, you know, somewhere in Burbank and all the single moms come with their kids and the single dads or the married, whatever, in the middle of the day, have some crackers, Capri suns, watch a show. Then our future is, is up to them. But anyway, this is
1: for kids shows or are they serve crackers show. and Capri sun, any across show. the board, across okay. the board. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One hour drama, crackers, Capri sun. Um, and so now they just order the scripts and they tell the showrunner, you can hire four to six writers. So they.
1: That's do a mini that. room.
2: That's a mini room before production mm-hmm. starts. The scripts come in. Netflix loves them. Paramount Plus loves them. They all love them. They go, okay, we're going to make the series. Showrunner's like, great. Oh, by the way, we need you to fire your staff, they're no longer needed. The scripts are written. Oh. You, you, and another high-level writer will cover the set. We don't need those writers, so they are. So it's gone. stuff that
1: was written on spec, and then they basically
2: right. And then but even it. if they knew they were going to shoot it, they're structuring it so that they don't need these writers yeah. on set. So now what's happening is – so when I started out, you know, my first showrunner was a guy, Bernie Ornstein, who was famous back in the day. Bernie Ornstein, saw Turtletop, they did shows like Sanford and Son and That Girl and um, you know, The Monkees and all these – they were legends. Mm-hmm. And it's my first job and I was on location with Bernie. We shot in Canada and he literally took me around by my hand and – Took me to casting and took me into editing, showed me how to take a shitty show and edit it and make it great and sweetening and how music can help. And within three, four years of that, I was running Boy Meets World. You know, Michael Jacobs was mm-hmm. off the creator doing other shows. I was running the damn show. It was because I had this guy that – so these kids, right, these by young Right, not writers, having it on
1: set, they're not getting They're that. not
2: – so the next generation of storytellers are not being mentored properly by us. Mm-hmm. These go F themselves is the segment, don't give a shit. Yeah. Because they're not creative – they are strictly money. money guys they don't look at us as artists we are artists painters are artists people who write music poetry we're all artists they don't look at us mm-hmm. as artists they look at us as disposable they they want ai to come mm-hmm. in and then they'll hire one writer to make changes and fix it that's what the, they're making a shitload of money yeah. off of us AI didn't write Succession. Mm-mm. AI didn't write Ted Lasso. You know, AI didn't write Hacks or any of the the shows. And so, these guys, you know, the 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 guy I'll I'll put him at the you know top of the the, the list is Zaslav, the Warner Brother Discovery guy of the Go Fuck Yourself. He, it's so funny. He's now being advertised. He's the commencement speaker at Boston university. Uh, I guess he went there and the students are going to boo him because they're pro us. Good. They want to be in this business. And he's the guy that came in and took the movie bat girl and all these other series that were shot and he shelved them all mm-hmm. for a tax credit. You know, like a tax benefit, like as a loss. Yeah. They never aired. All the blood, sweat, and tears. So he's my big, go fuck yourself. Hey.
1: Hey. Hey. Go fuck yourself. Felt good.
2: Felt great. Felt good. Now, I'm speaking for thousands of young writers that can't say, go fuck yourself. I'm 63. I've had my career. I'm still doing some cool stuff. But like- they can't say it. I'm saying it for all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on the group show, so this is going to air Monday, and then on Thursday is a group show, and I have Wendy Molyneux and Jordan Morris on, and they're both out there striking right now, too. So I'm sure they will have a lot to say about it. Um, Mark Blutman, it was delightful to get to know you. Thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find you
2: Well, on right now, media. I'm right here. <laughs> uh, social media, I'm very active, very accessible. On Twitter, I'm... Blutman Mark, and on Instagram, Mark Blutman. That's simple. It's simple. Anything else you'd like to plug? No, just that uh, I had a blast. I want to plug this show. Please, plug it everywhere. (laughs) Allison Rosen is my new best friend, and I had an amazing time with Allison and Tony. And uh, I think, if nothing else, what we learned today, Tony, is...
0: Allison's vagina is
1: huge. See, we all learned something. I feel so. I feel so good that I shared that. Um, Tony, where might we find you?
0: Twitter and Instagram at
1: Tony Thaxton. And- oh, sorry.
0: I want that. Why don't I have? That? I know
2: you got. To- I want one.
0: It just happened, you yeah. know, and I had to. I had to take it when it happened, and, mm-hmm. I and run play it, it
1: all the time. Now
0: all the time. Come on.
1: You play it all the time.
0: Probably every show.
1: Tony Thaxton, you, happy you
2: made that happen. <laughs>
1: uh, sorry, you were. Oh, uh, we'll just
0: same bizarre albums every Tuesday.
2: I do want to. Well, I'd love to come back one time with Dalton and RJ.
1: Yes, I would love to have you back with them. That'd be um, I don't know. I don't know the next time they're in town. Well, but, let's
2: do it in Vegas.
1: Well, I, I'm not going to be in Vegas.
2: I, I
0: understand. Tony will. <laughs> I wish I actually I can't. I'm so bummed. I can't It's, go. it's this month, actually. I know. What is it? Memorial Day? Yeah, it's
2: like my one of my kids' birthdays. May yeah, 23rd. 20,
0: yeah, 28th or something like. Yeah, because I'm a musician. I have to play a festival the exact same day. It's my first show all year.
2: Yeah, he's a genius. Do I know why he's a genius? <laughs> why? Because he gets to play his soundbite and then keeps talking, knowing he has to play it again. Because we have to end. We we're gonna yeah. keep ending. So anyway, you can find me. I'm Mark Bluntman. You can find me on Twitter at Bluntman Mark and Instagram at – and what about you? Oh, me? I'm uh, Twitter and Instagram at
0: Tony Thaxton. He's a
2: genius.
1: If you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, please make sure you're subscribed. Tony Faxton. Leave us a nice review. Click five stars. Tell your friends. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen, Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. I'm on TikTok, The Allison Rosen. I already mentioned Patreon, but I have a new podcast, which is Allison and Todd After Hours. Uh, it's a Patreon only podcast. And so there's a different Patreon for that. It's only $2 a month though. And it's very gossipy and juicy. Patreon.com slash Allison and Todd. Thank you again. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye.
2: Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show?